0: So we're starting a new series today. There's a ton of content inside of it. There's going to be a lot of reading of scriptures and stuff. So just so that you know, you can follow along on the screen or you can follow along on your phone. And if you miss a scripture, it's all on the downloadable, fill in the blanks thing online. Or all the Bible references should be on your piece of paper as well. So just so that you have that in your hands and you know in case, you know, I read a verse really quickly... You know, it might get to the end of the talk, and I'm just speeding through a verse. That way you can go back to it and look it up, Um, because there's a lot of reading today. And so I'll explain that as we go on. But we've been walking through the book of Romans, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so we are in a new series, because it's a new um, section of Scripture in Romans. It's called So we called it For Everyone, and the reason that we are calling this new series For Everyone is because the next few chapters— Really talk about, well, first, number one, and every time you come to Open Life, hopefully you know this, is that Jesus and his hope and his peace for your life is for everyone. It's not just for a select few of people. It's not just for the people we might think that are perfect or that have it all together. The peace and hope of Jesus Christ is for everyone. But the second thing is, is that's what these passages that we're going to be reading for the next three weeks that's what these chapters are all about. Um, and so today's the kind of the confusing week because Paul's really addressing a lot of what he's, we're going to be reading today to the Jews, and so um, the Jewish people. And so don't get confused by that. I'll try. I'm going to do my best to um, try and unpack that and explain it to you. But just so you know, that's that's what we're unpacking together. And so today in chapter 9, we're going to be reading about God and His character, specifically related to His relationship with His... What we read in the Old Testament, he calls them his chosen people. And so these people were often called Israelites. They are often called the nation of Israel. And so that's where we get it from the Old Testament. And so the reason that Paul has to address this and talk about this in his book of Romans is because there is a lot of confusion between two different groups of people. And so that first group we have are the Jews. And so specifically Paul is addressing to Jews that have chosen to follow Jesus. And so if you, if you know the story about how Jesus came to earth and was crucified, the Jewish people really disowned him and crucified him. But there were Jews like the disciples and then other followers of Jesus that chose to follow him through Jesus being on earth and the things that he did. And so Paul's addressing it specifically to those Jewish people, the ones that have chosen to follow Jesus. And so then the next group that Paul is writing this letter to is another group called the Gentiles. And basically Gentiles is a word for people that aren't Jewish. So if you were a follower of Jesus and you weren't Jewish, you were Jewish, you would have been called a Gentile. And so this isn't—the way Jesus has intended it and the way God intended it and the reason he sent Christ to earth— is so that people would understand that there isn't two separate groups. There's not Jew and non-Jew. There's not Jews and Gentiles. Like, these are two—this is one group, two groups becoming one. And so, after Jesus, there's no longer this separate but equal thing. There's not like, you know, well— the Jews worship Jesus in this way, and then the Gentiles worship Jesus in this way. You know, they're separate things, and they're equal. No, when Jesus came, he said, no, there's a new system. There's, it's not even a system. It's just follow me, and then you come to know God. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, no, after me, the church is now one. Whether you're Jew, wherever you were born, if you had Jewish parents, it doesn't matter If you weren't born into that, if you've chosen to follow me, basically, if you've chosen to follow me, then you are part of my church. And so that's everything that Paul has to address in Romans. It's just all this confusion that comes up because there's just all these different ideas. And so the Jews who identified with Jesus as their Messiah— saw this as the next step of their Jewish faith. You know, they they were praying for a Messiah, they were praying for a Savior. Jesus comes, and for the ones that followed Jesus, they said, you know what, this is just the next step of our Jewish faith. Well, for a Gentile, they didn't have that background, they didn't have that heritage. And so this provides a huge controversy that Paul is addressing. You know, Paul would go into a town or a city, and oftentimes he would go to the synagogues first. He'd go to his Jewish, because Paul was Jewish, he was... He would go to his brothers and sisters and say, you know what, guys? There is a man who came to this earth. His name is Jesus, and he died to forgive us. And now there's a new way of living. But what happened was, is when he'd go to these synagogues and try to convince his brothers and sisters that were Jewish about Jesus, they wouldn't really accept that. They wouldn't really see that or identify or recognize Christ. And so Paul would left, be left to go throughout the towns that he was in, And preach to Gentiles. And what happened was more and more Gentiles were becoming part of the church. And so Paul is just like excited about this. Because, you know, Paul understood that the gospel of Jesus Christ was for everyone. But like there's just this like crazy... Just so many different things to address for the Jews that were still a part that chose to follow Jesus. So there's this minority group, and they're like, you know what? These Gentiles really need to follow our customs, our laws, the things that we've been doing a long time, because that's the way to follow Jesus. And Paul is saying, no, Jesus changed all that, and there's a new way of life. So that's the background of what we're talking about. Hopefully I was able to make that clear as concise as I could, but as a reading note for you, when you're at home pulling out your Bible, if you're reading through Romans, it's super, super important to read Romans 9 through 11 together. I mean, really, if you could ever sit down and read all of Romans in one sitting, you'll get a huge context of what we've been talking about. But if you're just going to sit down to listen uh, to read about what we're talking about specifically, you'd want to read 9 through 11 together as one, because Paul is first going to address his Jewish brothers and sisters, and then he's going to address the Gentiles, and then he starts throwing in um, all these different things that address both groups back and forth in these these three chapters. And so what can happen is if you read chapter 9 just by itself, and you said, I'm going to base my Christian faith off of just chapter 9, you could get some pretty weird or skewed ideas. But it's when we read in context, when we read with 10 and 11 as well, and we really when we read all of Romans together and really all of the New Testament, you have to really apply what you're reading together as a whole so that you can understand exactly the heart of God for what He's trying to tell His people. And so we can't just take out, we can't just think like, because... Paul is addressing the Jewish people, then that means he's specifically addressing us the same way. And so there, there is some things we have to read and understand about the Jewish faith before we try and unpack this and apply it to our lives. So to summarize, Gentiles thought of the Jews in this way. They said, you know what, they haven't accepted Christ. You know, they kind of missed the boat on Jesus, and now God is judging them. That's why there's only a few Jews that have chosen to follow Jesus is because God's judging them for their disbelief because they didn't recognize Jesus. So you have that kind of mentality from the Gentiles. And then you have Jews who thought of the Gentiles in this way. You know, they would say they aren't the descendants of Abraham. They don't have the true faith. They need to be circumcised. They need to follow our customs, our food laws, etc. and etc. before they can be saved. Only then, after they do all these things will they be saved. And so finally Paul is like saying you guys have this both wrong and to summarize what we're going to talk about today Paul is saying God's thoughts on both of you is to say I will show mercy to whom I want to show mercy and compassion to who I want to show compassion. So there's some specific thoughts that Paul is addressing here but we can also learn some things about our relationship too. And so hopefully together we can unpack that. So today the big idea is that God's plan is greater than we understand it to be. God's plan is way bigger, way larger, whatever word you want to use, it's bigger than our minds can comprehend. Can we fully understand and know the depth, the scope, the reach of God's plan for humanity? We believe God is all-powerful, that he's all-knowing, that he's the creator of the universe, he's untamable, but sometimes I think we don't necessarily want to apply those things with our relationship with God personally for our own lives. That we don't really want to truly understand how untamable God is. How, like, His plan is so sovereign over our lives. Because it, it just makes us ask questions. It makes us confused, and then we we try and make all these other arguments, and then they just contradict other parts of Scripture, and we get worried, and we're like, you know, we just, sometimes we just close off, and we're like, what are we supposed to do? Well, Ephesians three sixteen through 19 says, and it, it really Correlates to what we were talking about last week um, as far as God's unending love for us, but it says in Ephesians 3 16 through 19, I pray that from His glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Listen to verse 19 again. May you experience the love of Christ that is too great to understand fully. You know, we read the verse last week that said nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Nothing can ever separate us. And I want to just stress an idea to you today, is that our understanding of God should totally be based on our understanding of His love for us. We know the best way that God loved us is through Jesus. He sent His Son to die for our sins and through him we have life. And so to understand God fully, you have to understand his love for us, that he would send his son, and so we could have life through him. And so in, in dealing with the religious law of the Old Testament, when we read back there, Moses, when he's presenting the law to, to the Israelites, he, he tells them this verse in Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is what This is what Moses says. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one, we are not accountable for them, but we, are, we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. And so this attitude of Moses is total wisdom for the Israelites because, you know, they, they're not going to know everything about God's plan. They're not going to know everything about what God, you know, has for them in their future But he did reveal the law to them. He did reveal those rules that they could follow. And Moses is saying, you know what? We don't know everything about God. And so we're not accountable for the things we don't know. But we do know is that God has interacted with us in this way by giving us the law. And so that's what we are accountable for. And so we can apply that wisdom that Moses had to our lives because we know the love of God because we have Jesus. And so I'm not accountable for the things that I don't understand about God. And there are a lot of things that I don't understand. Even when you read Paul reading Scripture, or in the book of Romans, there's times where you'll find him saying, you know what, I just don't understand this part of it, but what I do know is that nothing can ever separate me and us from the power and the love of God. Nothing can ever separate us from that. What God has revealed to us is His Son, Jesus, and we know that as we pursue, and we know as we are in relationship with Jesus and His Spirit, then we can truly know God. That is what we are accountable for. So as we look at just how huge God's plan is, and as we've read last week, and as we've read in previous weeks about the unending and the depth of God's love for us, then we need to understand also what Paul is trying to say when he's talking to the Jews right now. And so Romans 9, 1 through 5, as we jump into chapter 9, this is what Paul says. And remember, this is just after last week where he's talking that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And so Paul says, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people My Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. So last week, Paul's saying, you know, it's all about love. Nothing can ever separate us. And then this week, as we read in chapter 9, he's saying, you know, cut me off from that love if it would mean my Jewish brothers and sisters could find life. And so Paul goes on, he says in verse 4, they, so he's talking about his Jewish brothers and sisters, are the people of Israel, Chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So Paul starts off Romans 9, explaining how he is filled with intense grief and sadness because of the plight and the situation that his Jewish brothers are in, brothers and sisters. You know, Jesus was really hard for many to follow, even though they, the Jewish people should have been the first people that recognized that Jesus truly was the Savior. And so Paul's been on both sides of this. As you, if you know the background of Paul's life, At first, he was the chief prosecutor, the chief persecutor of Christians. Like, he's like, no, Jesus is not the Son of God. He is not the God. And so anyone who follows him, I'm going to do whatever I can to murder them and get them off of this planet because they are just honoring the true God. But then he has this encounter with Jesus on a road. And it's totally awesome if you read about it in Acts. And his life is changed. And so now he's immediately thrown to the other side of this. No longer is he a persecutor, someone who's going to try and kill other Christians. Now he's trying to make new Christians throughout the whole world. And so he's going to talk to Jewish people. He's going to talk to non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And he truly becomes the apostle, the leader of the Gentiles. And so he's been on both sides of this coin where he's like, I used to be, I used to be that, but now I'm a full believer. I'm doing everything I can to make Jesus known everywhere. So now Paul is willing to die for his Jewish brothers and sisters so that they can better understand that they need faith in Christ. So he goes from killing people because they're Christians to saying, you know what? If it was up to me, I would be separated from the love of Christ so that my Jewish brothers and sisters would come to know God. Romans 9, 6, he goes on, he says, Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. The reason the Jews believed that they were going to be included into God's plan was because of the promise that God had given Abraham. And so we read about that in Genesis um, chapter 12, 1 through 4, that's called the Abrahamic Covenant. And so Jews believe that they were in because they were descendants of Abraham. We're not going to read all through that whole story, but it's really the whole book of Genesis is about how God, you know, created the earth and started his relationship with the earth, with people. And so Paul's explaining to Jews that true descendants of Abraham aren't just biological people who trust God. It's No, they have to take another step and actually know and understand who Jesus is. They should have seen who Jesus was. And so for Paul to tell him this, this is super controversial. You know, we've all seen the devastation that comes from when a group of people think they're superior because of their ethnic heritage. You know, even in our country today, we are dealing with the issue of, because I was born with a certain skin color, that gives me different rights or that gives me less rights. And we deal with this struggle every day. Just turn on the news and you'll see something. And to the extremes, that's where you get in our history of the world, you get ethnic cleansings, you get things like the Holocaust, because a group of people think they are chosen or that they're better or that they have, can just kill or murder whoever they want because they think they're fostering this new way and they're going to make everything right about the world. And so Paul is addressing them to the Jews and saying, no, you are no longer chosen because you are Jewish. You have to believe in Jesus, and this is for everyone. Even the Jews and Gentiles were dealing with the things that we're dealing with today in their setting. The Jews thought that they had the key because they were descendants of Abraham. So Paul gives them a history lesson of God enacting his plan From the beginning of when they thought that, you know, their newfound heritage or or their newfound calling was born. And so we read that in Romans 9, 7 through 13. Paul says, being descendants of Abraham. And so he's talking about the Jews here. He's saying, doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this, next, about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. This son was our ancestor, Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. And so listen to this kind of clarification from Paul. He said, this message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your oldest son will serve your younger son. In the words of the scriptures, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. And so Paul's explaining like how their heritage started. First you have Abraham. And, And so if you read the story, you see Abraham was chosen by God. He created this covenant with him. But then Abraham tried to do kind of things in his own way. He's like, you know what? I'm not going to have a kid anytime soon. Have you seen my wife? She's very old. And so he takes a concubine and then he uh, has a child with that one. And God's like, no, that is not the promise I had for you. In fact, your wife, Sarah, is going to have a child. And so you see, it just continues on and on where people try and put the will of God into their hands and say, you know what? I have the plan. God told me I'm going to do this, and so I'm going to do it in my own way. And God's like, no, wait for me, and let's do it my way. And so thought number one, God has always had a plan for salvation. So the first question that the Jews had, and this was really important to understand, is that in this time that Paul is addressing, the Jews were like, well, can we trust God and his promises? Can we truly do that? Can we trust God and his promises that he gave us so long ago? Because now that Jesus has come, and this is supposed to be the fulfillment They're like, only a few people have chosen to follow Jesus. Only a few of us have really believed and followed him. And so the Jews that Paul is writing to are looking around and seeing that there aren't many Jews who actually acknowledge Jesus, but there are more and more of these non-Jews called Gentiles. And so these people know the promise that God made. And now their question is, if our Savior really came, how come only a remnant or small group of people are following the Jews? Can we trust God and his promises? And so Paul gives them that history lesson. He talks about Abraham. He talks about his wife, Sarah. He talks about Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. He talks about Jacob and his brother Esau. And he's basically just rehashing God's plan. And he's saying to the people that you guys knew the plan. You, you've been reading about this your whole lives, and you missed it because Jesus came. And so the sum of Paul's lesson is that God has always been working his plan out with the people that he wants to work his plan with. Even when those people totally royally mess it up, God's like, you know what? I'm gonna fix this, and it's not gonna be the way you thought it was gonna happen. And so He does that over and over and over. And so this automatically makes us believe that maybe God's plan isn't fair. Like maybe, you know, He's just controlling everything and we have no say in the matter. But we read in Romans, checked, sorry. We read in 9s 14 through 18. Are we saying then, that God is unfair. So Paul addresses that. Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses chooses to harden the hearts of others so that they refuse to listen. So thought number two is that we are not in charge of God's plan. And so this is probably the biggest duh you'll ever hear in an open life thought, because it's like, duh, we're not in charge of God's plan. So the next thought three is the sky is blue. Thought four is water is wet. You know, why don't we just pray now? Because It's like so obvious that we are not in charge of God's plans, yet we struggle and we try so hard to enact our own plan. You know, it's easy to come to God and say, not your will, God, but my will. Not your will, but mine. You know, God, I got this one. I think I know the best strategy from now on, or I know the next course of action. But that's what Paul is getting at here is that if you read in Genesis and throughout scripture you see people doing just that saying, "No, God, not your will, my will. We're going to do it my way." And so then God has to totally use those things, those people screwing things up and actually making them work out for good, and he does it in his special way. But it still brings us to questions. Because even when Jesus came, he only picked 12 disciples. He didn't not everyone got to be a disciple. He didn't heal everyone. He didn't get to go and talk to everyone. So people now have to just believe believe on faith who Jesus is. And so if, there's, if you have questions today, I just want to say I totally, totally, totally get it. Sometimes I really wish I could just say to God, Thus saith, not the Lord, thus saith the Jaden. Because it's like, there are some messed up things going on, and I would love to be able to just say, let that stop happening, thus saith the Jaden, because that looks terrible. And so then, when we have these questions, and we have these things that go on in our lives, and we're like, that just doesn't seem a part of God's plan. You can make yourself go crazy, and so it's like, really you're talking, like, the guy on the stage right now is the guy whose mom just passed away from brain cancer. And if I'm gonna, if anyone's gonna come up here and say, we are not in charge of God's plan, like, I'm a breathing, living example of that, because that would not be in my plan. And so I think we all have something in our lives where we might say, God, are you, are you really in control over this? Are you really sovereign over this? Are you really, like, when you read verses, like, I'm working all things to the good of those who are called according to my purposes. You're like, are you really doing that? Are you really doing that? Isaiah 55.9 says, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so look at Paul. He said it himself. He's like, if it were my choice, if it was my will— I would be cut off from the love of Christ if it meant my Jewish brothers and sisters would come to know Jesus. Paul understands that. It's not just like he's saying, yeah, God's in control and everything's going to be okay. No, he has this deep, intense like, sorrow in his, because he sees his, his friends and his loved ones who have not chosen to follow Jesus. And he's like, if it were my choice, I would give up my right because I'm a follower of Jesus so that other people would come to know him. So then, as we read two weeks ago, God is somehow, some way, working for the good of those he's called. And so this all interconnects. You know, we read in chapter 5, probably a number of months ago, and it's basically saying that he's going to use our trials to help us grow as people and as followers of Jesus. And then even like last week, we're talking, really, is there nothing that can separate us from the love of God? And sometimes when these things happen, we begin to wonder But this is all woven together, and Paul is just explaining, he's like, this hurts me, but God is in control. He's chosen to show mercy to who he's chosen, chosen to show mercy. And so then he says in Romans 9, 19 through 21, well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them to do? No, don't say that. Who are you? A mere human being to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a, potter makes a jar, when a potter makes jars of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? And so you see the Jews are asking, how can God blame us for not responding when that is what it seems like God has created us to do? Obviously, no one is following Jesus, so obviously God created us for destruction. And so... Paul's like, no, don't even ask that question. Like, you're not understanding the plan. You don't have—you don't even have the authority to ask it. But yet, throughout history, the church and followers of Jesus have asked that question over and over and over again. And some will even give you answers to that, about how God's plan works. And it's like— it never works. It always alienates someone, it always frustrates people, and it just infuriates you because that just, you're like, that just does not work right, the answer to that question that you're giving to me. And so this doves into the question of do we have free will or is God just choosing all of us, like, and we're just these, like, pawns walking through life. And so I just want to do a quick illustration. I would love for you guys all to stand up right now. Just... Bear with me. Thank you. I just want to make sure everyone... So, okay, then now you can sit back down now. Just a quick thing. Take a quick stretch if you want. But basically, have a seat. I just want you to know that I predestined you all to stand up. You know, it's in my notes right here. I, I even told myself I'm going to make them all stand up. And I predestined that to happen. You know, I could have told Danny, he, you know what? Like a prophecy, Danny, I'm going to have everyone stand up tomorrow. And you guys did it, so thank you. But like, did I force you to do it? Did I force you? You had free will. You could have sat down if you didn't. But that's, I think, sometimes how we need to understand God. Or like when you're going on a date with your spouse, and, you know, I go into, I go into the room and say, Hey, Danny, we're going to go on a date tonight, and this is going to be awesome. We're going to have a great time. I have a plan for the date. I predestined to have a good time on our date tonight. I'm not forcing her to go. If she doesn't want to go, she doesn't have to. I'm not gonna like chain her up and say, you know, we're going to Olive Garden and then we're going to a movie and you're gonna have fun. If I did that, please like call nine one one and. But the point is, I predestined for us to have a good time. She's not forced to have a good time, but I think she will if we just follow the plan. I'm a pretty good date maker. And so I think that's what we need to understand God is doing for us. He's invited all of us into a relationship with him, and he tells it, I'm going to work all this stuff out for the good. And he's not forcing you. You don't have to follow Jesus. You don't have to do anything, but he's like, you know, if you do, I think we're going to have a good time. I think you're going to see that over the course of your life, this was a good decision. And so Paul's just trying to explain, like, that's The reality of what we're going through. And so the second question the Jews had is, what about Israel? Has God turned his back on us? And so Paul says in Romans 22, he says, in the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. So notice the change in Paul's audience. He's changing this just from the Jews, and now he's opening it up to the Gentiles as well. He's saying concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, Those who were not my people I will now call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his, his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. And so the thought number three today, the final thought, is that God is choosing us. God's plan from the very beginning was for Jews and for Gentiles. And so you finally understand the gospel when you realize the scandal that lies behind the gospel. gospel. That scandal is that God has chosen all of us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Since Jesus, we are now in this time of undeserved grace. There's nothing that we can do that would say, oh, you deserve this grace. You deserve it because you've lived a good life. That's not how it works. Since Jesus, we are in this time of undeserved grace where all we do is say, I follow him. And then out of a byproduct of that decision, our life naturally changes. And, you know, only a remnant of the Jews followed, but many Gentiles were able to see and understand that scandal. You know, I don't get to choose how God works but I do get to respond to how he works. We have the opportunity to meet God in his will and his plan for all of humanity. And so the, the other way around would be for God to meet us in our will. And I think that's the exact last thing that we would ever want God to do for us. This is a, all right, Jaden. I've resisted enough, I've invited you to be a part of my plan, and now I'm going to join you in yours. And as we read in Scripture, Paul brought it up, he talks about Moses, or he talks about Pharaoh hardening his heart when he was talking to Moses. And I think that's what happens to us sometimes, is that when we say, no, God, not your will, but my will, and God actually meets us in that, that's the hardening of our hearts, where we said, you know what, I'm just going to go my way, I'm going to do my thing, and I'm not going to meet you in your will. That's the true hardening of hearts. And So finally, Romans nine thirty through 33 says this, what does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God, and it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God because by keeping the law instead of by trusting in him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So today... As a response to today's talk and reading through all of this history lesson and reading how Paul is addressing these two groups of people, the action point today is to recognize God's plan and your chosen role. God's chosen you. Have you recognized his plan? Have you met him in his will for, you, for your life? We read in that passage that Paul's like reading a scripture from the Old Testament, and it says Jesus is the rock that makes them fall. So translated and everything, this is actually the Greek word is called scandalon. Is like the word is called scandalon. And when when you read that, it says a rock that makes them fall. When it says makes them fall, it's the Greek word scandalon. And so I think Paul's. Using that specifically, he's saying, you know what? There's a scandal that took place. (laughs) None of us deserve this free gift of God's grace. The Jews completely missed it. The Gentiles never knew about it. But the scandal is that God still sent his son to die for us, to be raised again three days later, so we could have life through him. That's the scandal. The scandal is that someone perfect came and died to show mercy to the unperfect. God's plan is so scandalous. It's probably not the way I would have chosen it to go had I been the Lord, thus saith the Jaden, that's never gonna work. But we can know that his plan is good and we can know that it's especially for you and for me to participate in together if we choose to meet him in that will. So this is not the passage of scripture that I would always pick to point out, you know, hey, come to Jesus. His plan is great. There's a lot of history stuff. Boring, boring, boring. But we can still pull out of scripture and know that that's God's plan for us so I just want to invite you to that today. And if you go home today and you, you know you want to read it, it's meant to be read with 10 and 11 as well. It's meant to be read with all of Romans, and it's meant to be read in the story of Jesus as well. It all makes sense when you know that God has always intended for Jesus to come into the scene at just the right time for all of humanity. And so I want to give you an opportunity to pray and respond to that. And then we'll worship for a song and then we'll be ready to go. God, we just thank you for this time to come before you. God, thank you, number one, for your plan. Thank you that you're working together all of these things that might seem crazy in our minds that don't really show anything good, but you're working at them for the good of those that you've called. And God, I pray, Lord, today that you would call us, Lord, to your will that we would respond to it. God, I pray for maybe someone here who's never chosen to meet you in your will. I pray, Lord, today that they would choose to follow you today. Lord, that they'd make that step, that they would take just that change in their life and say, you know what? It's no longer my will, God, but it's gonna be your will. God, meet us in that. As we meet you, God, meet us in that so we can see your power and your love and your strength working through us, God. Thank you that you sent Jesus as part of your plan. Thank you for our adoption into your family. I pray, Lord, that we would realize the ramifications of your great, far-reaching, wide scope of a plan that you have for us, God. I pray, Lord, that we would find our place in that and that we would be life givers to other people as well bringing love to them, showing them the unending, deep love that you have. Let us walk in that today, God. Let us trust in you, and let us know and be encouraged today that you're working together all of these things. You're advocating for us, even when we don't have the words to pray sometimes, God. Move through us today in your name.